Jesse, when you share, I'm reminded of, of something that I've heard said before. Um, there are weeks, but he is strong. And, uh, and I understand. There, there are weeks. There are things, but he is, he is strong and he is good. There are no, there are no end of challenges to come, child of God. And I know that God gives us the grace to endure. And he also gives us the power to overcome. I want to start this morning, um, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I know I've referenced this here recently in a sermon, but it, it continues to come up. And, it, and in this world we live in and the circumstances that are around us right now, it speaks even, it just continues to speak louder and louder to me. And it says simply but powerfully, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Because everything you bring, you bring for a purpose. And I know that you remind me again and again, the arm of flesh will fail. But Lord, you will prevail over all. And I am thankful that your mercies are new every morning. And you are my sufficiency. Lord, I know that you know us all at a depth that we can't even fathom. And I know that you know me at that depth. And so I commit these frail lips to your word, this frail heart to your keeping, and dedicate this temple to your purposes and to your Holy Spirit. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, after this after this week of uh, of watching, if you watch any news cycles or anything, you can't help but have seen any number of things. And I don't know where the viewpoints are for anybody. And I, I and it doesn't at this point. It's like that that isn't significant. I won't say it doesn't matter because it does, but uh, it's not significant because we can look at the stuff around us and see the world doing funky things. And do you know why it does? Because it's the world. And, and from the beginning, God has said the world's going to do what the world does. It just, it is. And, and, I, and I don't think he says it in this way, but I'm going to say it in this way. Get over it. And I know that could sound sarcastic. But actually, since he's overcome the world, then we ought to get over it. The world will be the world. 
And this word is not for them, the world. Because the world hates God. This is this is a this is an announcement of their pride, their self determination, and their end. They're gonna hate this word. It's for us. It it is for us. And out of that bigger context of God's Word for us is this verse and many more, but if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then Second Chronicles seven, nineteen through twenty two. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And I will make it a proverb and a byword among the peoples, all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this disaster on them. Context. Old Testament. One people. One location. One temple. Follow me? One people. The Jewish people. That were called out. Pulled aside. In one location with one temple. And when you came, you came to that temple. When you worshipped, you worshipped in that temple. When you sacrificed, when you came for forgiveness, it was always toward that temple. Now they got sideways and worshipped the temple and believed the temple was power. And mishandled a lot of things. But everything pointed toward that temple. What did the temple point toward? The temple pointed toward Christ. Right? It pointed toward Christ. Now, I'm going to read to you. I didn't didn't have Chase put it in there because it's just a ton and I want you to hear more than read. Um, but I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. I don't want to say that you can't read along if you don't want to read along, but um, 1 Peter chapter 2. All of it. So, 
This is Peter speaking in light of other things he said. In light of who God's kids are. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do you hear that part? You yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's a lot there, but I want to bring just some points out of this. We went from one people in one location with one temple to we are the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the priesthood. We are the building on which we are built on the foundation of Christ. We are, we have been individually dispersed into the world like seeds. So it's no longer come here to worship God, but go into all the world worshiping God. You hear, you hear the difference there? Like you hear how the transition went from go to one place, be in one place, and here is where you go, and here is where worship is, to go into all the world. You are the temple. You are a holy priesthood. And that's significant. And I know throughout time, what has happened in what we call the church and in, and in what I believe sometimes has become churchianity is we still will have the mindset that we come to this place to worship and serve and then we just go out and then we come back in here and do it again and then we go out and we come back and we do it again. Do you know how much time of your technical waking hours, how much of our time we've spent in, in places like this? If, if you count it all up in a, in a week, how many hours are there? One-tenth of one percent of our waking hours. And, 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 it's, and it gets like maybe two, three-tenths if you count from the time you show up here till the time you leave. You know, you're running around maybe three hours because you hang out and talk to people or whatever. Like tenths of a percent. And if you ask me, that's kind of not real worship. <laughs> because it's two or three tenths of a percent. But what did he call us to be? Worshippers in this world all the time our waking hours our work is our worship now you may not feel like and I, I i work in a place where it's pretty foul a lot there's a lot of whew, more foul language than i than i've than i heard in high school in the locker rooms just straight up it's it's rough from the from the top from the top down i mean just profanities laced throughout the whole day. It's like, 
Not enough Q-tip, not enough Q-tip to wash this all out of here. So when I'm in that place and, and I say, well, let my work be my worship. That is not the music of worship that I have to worship through. But this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Not that. Not this. This this is not a temple. This is a building. Let your work be your worship. Let your rest be your worship. Let your moments, no matter what they are, waking. let your waking moments be worship. Because God, we know as believers, we know that God has given them. There's so there's branches I could take off and my brain wants to and I'm not going to let it. So we've gone from one people in one location with one building to being launched into the world, dispersed into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that I as I read those things, especially when it's talking about you know, the emperor and governors and all that stuff, and it's just easy to get crooked right there. It's like, yes, but look at the things and look at the stuff that they're doing and how they present themselves, and you want me to honor that? I don't even know what you're talking about. We're not called to be doormats. Okay? We are not called to be doormats. There is nothing in this. If you if you read it in its full context, there's nothing that says just lay down and take whatever. Just just lay there and 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 be walked on. That's not what that's saying. But it's not saying, you know, pick up your pitchfork and run at them either. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but spiritual. We are called, Jesus called us salt and light. Salt stings and preserves. Light exposes, and there's plenty of scriptures that we know that talks about light exposing the darkness. Light exposes, and it also reveals the path. Right? Your word is a light, a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. But that same light exposes the works of darkness. So we're not called to be doormats, but we're not called to be monsters either. We are called to be Salt and light. We will sting because the word does. And we will preserve because the word does. We will expose because the word does. And we will light paths because the word does. We are not assassins. But we are called to speak the truth in love. Not, not vindictive. Not vengeful. 
Because we know, I know that in this room especially you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That is not what I've called you to. I've not called you to vengeance. And I've not called you to repayment. I've called you to the gospel. To live it, to walk it in this world regardless of the level of darkness that's it there. Regardless of the level of darkness around you, to walk that light out. We will be challengers. We will be challengers. Not necessarily as an intention, but more as a result. Let our challenging be the work of the Holy Spirit in us made evident that that work of the Holy Spirit would be in the souls and the minds of men. And let our challenging be motivated by love the love that it was extended to us by the mercy and grace of God. Undeserved. Paul makes so many mentions of that when he says, you once were, when he's talking about how to deal with people who are in the world. You were there. And I don't care how nice or goody-two-shoes or whatever I was, Back in the day, raised by decent moral parents, had a decent moral life and all that. It doesn't matter how good I was. I once was darkness. I once was lost. I once was wretched and miserable, undeserving of the grace and mercy of God. I once was a jacked up mess unredeemable no matter what I did. And I know that we must never forget that this work that was wrought in us is not anything that we can brag about or boast in, ever. I mean, that's the whole point of what we understand about salvation being of God is not for a boast for us to say we did something but it's also not a boast for us to say we're the chosen and you're not. It is never for us to brag about any of that because it is the grace of God. It's His mercy that saved us. And it to me is an awe and a wonder. I can remember the point of salvation for me when I stood in my family just playing outside in the I was in the street in the dark at night playing wiffle ball with cousins and family and knowing that God had saved me and looking at them decent people good folks and thinking why, why did you save me and not them I don't get it and marveling at that and just knocked over and I'm going to be honest, there's been times 
in this life where I've forgotten that. And I've been proud of being this Christian who's better than and and in better shape and in better state than somebody else. Forgetting the fact that, yeah, if not for the grace of God, you wouldn't be. You've got no place to stand above anybody and go, look at me, how great I am compared to you. There's a, there's a scripture that speaks of, and it just kind of says, gag me. Spew you out of my mouth kind of things with the, you know, the Pharisee beating his chest. And at least I'm not like that thing over there. At least I'm better than that. And that one over there in the corner beating his chest, I'm a miserable, rotten wretch. Let our challenging be the work of the Holy Spirit. Let it be motivated by love. And it's not just the social or political structures. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. And I have to be reminded of that just almost sometimes just daily. When things around are just coarse or harsh or just, I don't know, things. And people, just, you know, people. It's, it's kind of a joke I, I say to people when they leave and go someplace. Say, hey, watch out for people. They're everywhere. But they're, they are. And, and I'm one, too. We have to be reminded that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. There, there are wicked structures that are somewhat, I would say, the puppet masters pulling the strings, influencing and speaking into the world. And there are prideful hearts that are just gobbling it up and listening. And there are us who stand to the side feeling the effects of it and going, I don't think this is good. And I don't want to be influenced by this, but I know it's there and I know I need to fight. I know I need to wrestle. Some days the fight is very, very challenging. And some days the fight isn't challenging because we're losing. <laughs> we're, we're in it. We're with it. We're kind of going along with stuff. We will be challengers. And not just for our comfort in this moment, but for His eternal kingdom and glory. How many times have you wished the whole world was just Christians because it would just be better? It'd just be easier on me if everybody was Christians and I could just be fine and just be left alone or or it'd just be quiet. And I ask myself the question, is that motivated by love for their soul and for the glory of God or for your own comfort? So it just feels better to be here. I'm going to leave that as a question. (laughs) If my people, not only will we be challengers, but we will stand out. We will stand out. When Jesus said, salt and light, he also said, 
You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. We will stand out. I've got to go a place, but we will stand out. And that might sound great. Yeah, we're going to stand out. But if there's bullets flying, you don't want to be the guy standing out, right? You know, like in a in in the deer woods with an orange vest and an orange hat. Perfect. You want to stand out. Person, not animal. Do not shoot. But in a war, in a war where the bullets are flying at people, standing out is not pleasant because you're going to catch some serious fire. (laughs) There's an orange guy standing up over there. Okay, that's obvious. Point the guns that way. But by our nature, the nature that, that's been put in us by knowing Christ, he said, you will stand out. You will be the light of the world. You will be a city on a hill. And all of the guns and all of the stuff will somehow be pointed at you because you're the light of the world. You're showing up. And it brings new meaning to like, and you don't light a candle and then put a bushel over it, right? You know, light it it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine, right? But when you think about letting it shine, it means drawing attention to the fact that you are very different. You understand why the temptation was to, I want to be lit, but I don't want to be seen. But he said, that's what I've made you. That I might draw attention to my work of salvation. And it will be in sharp contrast to the world, and they won't like it, and they won't like you. Light of the world. City on a hill. And because we will stand out, we will be held to account first and now in this life. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Judgment begins at the house of God. Do you not hear just a little bit of reminiscent sound of, if my people who are called 
by my name will humble themselves and pray. If my people, judgment begins here with us. It starts here. Let's blow that context up a little bit, and we'll go 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, one, keep short accounts with God and people. Keep short accounts with God and with people. Don't let the, the scripture, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger. Repent daily. Repent daily, and maybe more as the necessity comes. That's before God and before people. Receive, and, and this is important too, to tag at the end of that repentance part, because I think we fail to kind of get that sometimes. Receive His full forgiveness his grace, his unmerited favor, and his pure love. I'm going to say that without the extras. Receive his full forgiveness, his grace, and his pure love. We fail many times in repentance to see his forgiveness. We, we fail many times in being forgiven of letting it be we are forgiven. And maybe we don't hold a grudge against someone else. But I know it's very easy for us to hold a grudge against this person. Yeah, but I know what you did here and here and here and here. And God knows what you did and some other people know what you did. And God's like, yeah, I do. And you do. But I did something about it. And you need to trust what I did. And not keep going back into the swamp or the pond or whatever and digging around trying to find that thing that, that you 
messed up. Not trying to find that thing that says to you, oh, see, there it is. That's it right there. This is the thing. That was, oh, look at that. Look at that mess I did. That was, what was that, 97, wasn't it? Oh, man, that was a, it's the bottom for a reason, right? Get over it. Get over it. As far as the east from the west, so far, they have been removed from you. And I know people looking east and west trying to find where was that thing at. Now we can see it in other, you know, saying, looking at other people. I remember that time that you just like, okay, other person, you know, you're looking at, oh, that's a grudge, drop that. That's, that's, that's wrong. Get away from that. How dare you hold a grudge? How dare you hold those things in some kind of esteem in your mind that you're going to continue to remember what somebody did back in the day and just, you can't let that go. But we do it to us like that. I mean, we're quick. We're quick to remember. And the enemy is quick to remind. He is. He's quick to, oh yeah, I'll keep you back in the past if I can. You know? Or if I can toss you up into the future and make you worry about something that may or may not come, I'll, I'll do that because he doesn't want us in the present where time that we're walking on touches eternity where God is moving, speaking, dealing day by day by day. Receive his full forgiveness, his grace, and his pure love. Remember that the gospel is done and not do. We are not working for our salvation. It was wrought at the hands of God for us. It is done and not do. And lastly, in that grouping of so what do we do because we stand out, lastly, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. And if you need a list of what above is, you don't have to read very far into anything that Paul wrote to find a list of things that are like, go here, think this, take up these things, let these thoughts be what rules you, let these steps be the things your mind takes... Go here, think this, do that. It doesn't take much to go through God's Word and see what set your mind things need to be for us. So, we will be challengers. We will stand out. And when we have been challenged, in the world, okay, let's just put it just bluntly, hated for being in that spot. When we are hated for being the challengers, and we are hated for being the light and the salt, we are in good company. We are in good company. I want to read another pretty good draft of scripture again and i just want you to as much as you want i'm not going again i'm not going to tell you don't read along I want, i'm just but i do want you to kind of soak in this a little i hope 
And uh, it's, you know, it, it was one that was last week, you know, we were, it was the opening and, and uh, Jim brought it up and that scripture just jumped out at me when he said it and just so many things, so many notes and so much stuff blossomed out of, of what was said um, as he read this parts of this. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, though, like that's the that's the hinge point, right? I mean, that's just like that's the base, that's the foundation of everything that's coming up after. It's like I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So here's how that looks, and he lays it out: Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now I want to stop right there. Because I know that that, that, that concept is just beaten and bruised and abused all the time. Oh, I get what I want. I get what I want. All I got to do is just, you know, ask, and God's just going to pour out stuff on me. Th- this is not a, an open-ended statement. It is an if-then. Okay? So it is, it's, you know, there, there are some prerequisites. <laughs> if you abide in me and... My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Do you see what stands in front of that? Is abiding in him and his word abiding in you. So if his word abides in us, and all that his intention toward life and everything that we're going to deal with is abiding in us, what are you going to ask for? You're going to ask, yeah, you're going to ask for what he wants. You're not going to ask for, and I want a bus and a car and a truck and a plane and a, I mean, it sounds like a little kid at Christmas, you know, and I want a, a thing that does the things that, I don't know, whatever whatever the thing is. I don't know who cares anymore. Like it was Tickle Me Elmo at one time. People were bashing each other with their head trying to get a thing. And it seems ridiculous and we can laugh about it now and it's a great joke except for the fact that we still do that and we call it something and it's, and it's running around in Christianity somewhere. And that is not. But coming back, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as, as in the same manner, just like I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And here we go. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And here is our hope. And here is, here, here is so much. Here is, here is so much. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will, be, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you would think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now we might say, in context, well, he's talking to the disciples, and he's telling them, hey, be ready, because they're going to pitch you out of synagogues, because contextually, that's where they were. Contextually, that's where they were. But that's not for today, right? I mean, that's not for today. That's That was for them. So the same thing, I mean, if my people are called by my name, that was at the temple, that was back in the Old Testament. And that was that was then, and, and we're, we live in the now. Uh, I'm sorry, same God? Same gospel? Same love? Same enemies? 
Same salvation. Same deliverer. Same gospel. Same power. It crosses all the contexts of all of time. Because all of this book points to Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith across all time and all contexts. So when they tell you, oh, that doesn't matter, that was then, this is now, tell them it mattered to Jesus because he taught from it. And when Paul penned the words, all scripture, the New Testament wasn't even written yet. He was speaking back into all of the things that had been said that led to Christ and teaching all of the things that continued to draw out all of these scriptures here and give the context toward Christ. So you can say, okay, well, the New Testament's not scripture then. It's like, it's every bit scripture because they were teaching scripture. They were, they were bringing light to the scripture that pointed to Christ. It was our hope. We are in good company when we are persecuted for living the gospel. We have the greatest weapon, the gospel of Christ. It has the power to tear down strongholds. The power, the power to change an enemy into a brother or sister. The gospel has that power. That's not, that's no small power. When you talk about tearing down strongholds, it's easy to, to say, you know, well, back in the day, and I, and I heard it was, I was listening to Vody Bauckham just, just the other day, not dropping names, cause Vody's Vody. He's just a guy. But I was listening to something he was preaching. He was talking about just this little segment. He was, Talking about what we got, you know, back then it was hand-to-hand combat, and so all of the metaphors that speak of that, they're, they're more here. But now we got bunker busters. Oh, we got the nuclear bombs, and we got all this other stuff. So it's, you know, stronghold thing, that's just different. It's like, uh, launch them all. Launch them all. And with the breath of his mouth, God could blow every one of them out of the world. Turn them to dust and let them fall. It's a metaphor. That's not the point. What is the stronghold that God is really tearing down? Here. The gospel has the power to change a life from darkness to light. That is the weapon of our warfare. That is the greatest weapon. It's the gospel. Because that changes People. Exactly. New creation. Old things made new. That is the power of God. That's the miraculous. That is the amazing. That could take the hand that would push the button to destroy anybody. I don't care if it's a big button with nuclear stuff to it or a little button that that just shoots somebody can take that finger and the heart behind it that would push that button and melt it like snow in the sun and make that 
same hand that would do that harm into a hand that would help and love people and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have so much history that shows it. And I want to be a part of the history that shows that. The power to convert someone from darkness to light. From my way to his way. From my way to his way. And it's still doing that work in us. It's not one and done. The gospel is not one and done. It is in continuation in our life, changing us and making us new. It's not just a one-off, hey, I got saved, walked the aisle, did the thing. I'm good, right? Just move on down the road. No, it is It is a continually remaking us, continually drawing us toward the Lord, continually working in us to produce holiness that glorifies God and not us. Because it's not about us, but it's about Him. It's for His glory. Real simple. The gospel in a nutshell. There was bad news. God made everything, and He celebrated it as very good. Sin entered the picture, and our ancestors, Adam and Eve, said, My way and not your way. To God, they said that. Uh, Much evil ensued. It got bad. Again, nutshell. Good news. God promised redemption by His own sacrifice. God delivered that redemption in Christ, on a cross, and in His resurrection. He delivered on His promise. Giving us who believe in His work and what He's doing, giving us a new identity, changing us to something other than what we were, which was a rebel and a willful soul, my way or the highway. And I don't care if that works out toward people or toward God or anything. It's just me. What's in it for me? What makes me happy? What gives me joy? What gives me glory? What gives me stuff? He's given us a new identity that says, or begins to say, and is progressively learning to say, not my will, but yours be done. Just like its author, Jesus said, not mine, but yours. Not my purposes, but yours. Not, not my life and my stuff and my things and my, my relationships, but yours. Giving us a new walk. We have been set free and mobilized to display the gospel and its power over the cycle of evil and death. How many, how many have seen The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen? A few here and there. 
Like when, when you watch The Chosen, if you see it, and, and if you just see pieces of it, whatever. But in the beginning of every episode, it's like these these fish, and they're all swimming, you know, together in a, in a row. But then one by one, you see one flipped around and changed colors and going back against the stream. And then another. And then another. And what a picture of changed lives and what that does. Yeah, there's still a ton of fish going the other direction. But they're swimming against that, against that direction. And and lives, others are being changed in the process. Like God does that with us. You get that? Like God does that. He means to do that with us. He's put us on the hill. He's made us a light. He's given us to be salt, to be used, to be spread out in this world. To change lives. He changes them, and he uses us to do it. Isn't that amazing? That he uses us, and he gives us, hear me, the opportunity to be the vessels that he uses to change lives. Not that we can boast and look at what I did. Look at what he did. And he used this to do that. He used this to do that. Oh, marvel. Wonder. In light of the message, may it be that they, the world, hates us because the gospel The good news is offensive to the flesh, the bad news. May it be that they hate us because the gospel is offensive to the flesh and not because we are offensive in our presentation of the gospel. And by presentation, I don't mean words. I don't just mean the words of, here's the gospel, let me lay it out for you. No, I mean not just our words, but our attitude and our actions. May it be genuine love. If the world hates you because you're a jerk, that's a problem. If the world hates you because you're arrogant in your presentation of the gospel as if you stand above everybody, that's a problem. If you go back and read some of the stuff I read, it's like, let it not be that people call you something because you're a murderer and you're envious and you're all the other stuff going on here. Let it not be that they're poking at you and you say, oh, well, see, they just hate the gospel. No, no, dude, you're, you know, you're just, a, you, you did that. Like your attitude and the way it came out of you did that. You're speaking as a graceless person who's not the beneficiary of an imputed righteousness. It ain't yours. That's what imputed means. There wasn't like some little puddle of righteousness left laying in there, and then God just kind of multiplied it. There wasn't any. You, you, None of us has a leg to stand on in the righteousness department. It was given to us outside and poured in and made ours by the work of Christ on the cross. At the hand of God, it was wrought he is the righteous, and he's imputed that to us. You get the imputed doesn't, you feel that, right? I don't have a leg to stand on in front of somebody and wag my finger in the name of the gospel because I'm 100% a beneficiary of the grace of God. 
May it never be then that our presentation, all of it, our word, our actions, our life, our attitude in the world, may it not be they hate us because we're terrible people to be around. But may it be their hatred is of us is they hate the gospel. They hate that that light shines out on them and exposes their darkness. I don't cuss and I don't swear and I don't do stuff around people I work with. And they do it in abundance. I don't, well, look here, you cussers and you swearers. Because, uh, yeah, that's, sorry, that was me. That was me. That was me. Those vile people who are saying all this bad stuff and doing all these bad, that was me. And now it's not because of the grace and mercy of God. So you don't have a place to go in there and be like, oh, shame on you. But to come at them with, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what honors God. I'm going I'm to live the truth. And I'm going to struggle in front of them because they're going to see me struggle. They're going to see me struggle with the same things they do. And they're going to see God at work doing something. And if they hate me because of that, it's because they hate the work of the gospel that they don't have in them. And then the hope that I have, not knowing where they are, is that God will use that to expose their sin for what it really is and expose them to the gospel that really saves that really changes lives. Let's pray. Father, much, much fire in my heart and mind and the challenges I know that, that you have given to me in this and, and I know that you will accomplish great things with your word because it doesn't come back void. It just doesn't. And and you've promised that. And I just want to lean into that. I just want to lean into the fact that your word will not come back empty. It will bring much glory to you in its return. And it will bring many souls to you in its return. It will have a powerful work as it's already done. And I pray that this ignites in us a ignites in us a passion for your purposes and ignites in us a passion for the souls of those around us. And that we can and that we will and that and I say we meaning all of us will take the words that you have so richly and faithfully poured out to us in this place. And I don't mean just today in this message. I mean just across time. Messages and messages and messages just full of your word and truth. Understanding of the depth of the riches of your glory and grace. Then we can take all those things into a very dark world and be that light, whether they hate us or receive us. Give us a boldness. 
and a heart to do that, to do just that. Because it is your work that you accomplish by your word, through your son, for your glory. And I pray that, I ask that for me and for us in Jesus' name. Amen.